morning. As always, I hope everyone's had a good week. I hope you've been able to enjoy the warm weather a little bit, get outside, get some things done, maybe go for a walk. And uh, you know when you go for a walk in the nice weather, oftentimes you you sit and you reflect back on things and remember some good memories from the past. And today we're going to be speaking on rather or not we are our brother's keeper, the famous answer that Cain gave when God approached him after the death of Abel. And I was trying to think about a story to tell for an example of that. And a story from college popped into my head, so I can neither confirm nor deny these actions, nor did I condone them. But <laughs> the college that I attended, they had a rule that you had to be back by 1 a.m. And if you weren't, you had to check in with the security guard, and you either had to leave your car up top at the restaurant and walk down and get it in the morning, or if the gates were open, you could go park it and you would have to check in. Now, if you checked in after one o'clock more than four times, you would then have to pay a fine. I believe it was like $400. So my friends and I got back, and it was my fourth time, but it was only their second or third. <laughs> so they checked in with the guard, and Nick walked up and started talking to him, and I kind of backed up and just took off. <laughs> I ran across the gym, I ran through a dorm, broke out the fire escape, ran across the fire alley, dove down into the basement, ran into my room and covered up with blankets, fully dressed with my shoes on like I'd been there the whole time. And, uh, you know, your roommate's like, well, where's Chad at? I don't know. I left him. What'd you leave him for? I took off and he just stared at me. So I left him. And, uh, you know, you, it was Chad's fault, right? He was slow and didn't react. So, and, <laughs> so in that moment, in a very lighthearted way, I guess you could say that I abandoned my brother when he was in need. If I would have, st- if I would have stayed, taken responsibility, paid the fine, and been there for Chad, everything would have ended up being okay. But instead, I made myself a very important person on campus accidentally. But but as we said, that's a lighthearted story about being our brother's keeper. But being our brother's keeper is a pivotal part to our faith. It is a pivotal part to how we as a congregation grow in Christ and how we show the love of Christ towards others in the community that are unbelievers. Because... They have a disdain for righteousness, but we, as being righteous people, show our love for righteousness by the way that we treat the righteous within our congregation. So it is something that we may not possess in adolescence, but as we grow and mature in our faith and our walk, it begins to become a part of our faith, being a part of each other. And the love, as we said, that we show for the righteous is what separates us. Now, the last few times we've been together, we've talked about Cain, right? And different aspects of Cain. We've talked about Cain, the person, and how he was composed solely of flesh, the first one to be so and the first one to exist outside of the garden. We talked about the heart of unrepentance that he had, how he had no sorrow for the murder of his brother. It was fine for him to be separated from the presence of God as long as he had the mark of mercy on him for self-preservation. And we talked about the aftermath and the judgment and all the things that came about as his descendants created civilization and man began to become self-sufficient and separate themselves from God. But turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 4. We're going to read Genesis 4, 6 through 11. And today what we'll be focusing on is the murder 
and the answer that Cain gave when God approached him. Genesis 4, 6 through 11, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now in preparing this week, I was listening to a a theologian named Stephen Lawson. He does a Bible study every once in a while. If you've never heard of him, I would suggest listening to him. He's an amazing man, and he's done series with James White and R.C. Sproul and a few other people. And he was talking about... uh, the murder of Abel and how we oftentimes look at this from Western eyes, but just something that you might want to meditate on this week. I found interesting. He states that after the fall of man, the ground was cursed and Abel's blood was crying out to God from the ground. So Abel was crying to God from a cursed place and the Lord heard and came and rendered judgment and justice. So that's something you can meditate on throughout the week if you'd like to. But the main focus that we will be on, as we said earlier, was the sin, the murder, and the answer, am I my brother's keeper? Now, where we're going to go to focus on this today is we're going to go to 1 John. So turn, if you will, to 1 John. And we're going to be in chapter 3 of 1 John. We're going to speak a little bit about some things that stick out in the New Testament and some things that's going on before we get to this book, right? Now, one thing you may notice in your yearly readings or in your personal readings as you go through the New Testament is that there's this, uh, there's a shift in focus the farther you go in the New Testament. You start at Christ, and the farther you go away from Christ, the more you notice that the focus becomes more and more on Uh, recognizing false prophets and the way that the body interacts until finally the ultimate false prophet, the Antichrist, comes and then Christ returns. In fact, I think I was reading one theologian stated that 67% of the book of 2 Peter is focused solely on directing you towards recognizing false prophets. And so as you get into these to these books, there's also a mirroring effect that begins to happen. That's what I call it. I don't know what the technical term is, but you see things going through the Old Testament and they hit the cross of Christ and then they reverse themselves and mirror themselves backwards. So an example would be like man walks with God in the garden and then man begins to wait on God to come, the Messiah, and then the Messiah comes. So man once again walks with God. Then the Messiah ascends, man again begins to wait on God until Christ returns to make paradise as it was. And when you look at humanity and sin entering the world and hatred in the line of Seth, you also see this mirroring effect. You see God is here in paradise with man. The serpent comes, then Cain comes, and then we have Seth. And through the line of Seth, the world is blessed at the cross. And after the cross... 
the line of Seth continues to bless. And when you get towards the end of the New Testament, in the book of 1 John and Jude, you'll see Cain mentioned again and the hatred for unrighteousness. Then in Revelation, the serpent comes and God returns once again to restore paradise. So there's a mirroring effect that goes on. And as you get into the books of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these are very unique books because they're being written to a series of house churches in the early church that is comprised mainly of Jewish people. And so, for example, in the book of 2nd John, that's primarily written to a specific house church and how they are having issues with false teachers and false prophets and how they're coming to them. So be aware. And in Third John, we see that that book is being written to a specific member of a specific church, telling them that they're having difficulties with the leaders, but we're going to send a missionary. Please welcome him so that your church is blessed by him. But the book of First John is very unique. It is very powerful. If you've never read it, I would strongly suggest doing so. It's only five chapters, but there is a lot in it. I mean, 30% of it is based on focusing on false teachers. I think the first chapter is how to recognize true teachers. The second chapter is how to recognize false teachers. And the third chapter, those themes continue, but it also begins to build upon how we as a congregation begin to interact with each other. And the books of John are also unique because he quotes Jesus but he only uses quotes that are in the Gospel of John. So you can see how powerful those moments were with Christ and how they continued to carry on with him as he taught the people that were under him in the early churches. Well, where we're going to begin our study today is 1 John chapter 3, if you haven't turned there already. We're going to read verses 9 through 17. 1 John 3. 9 through 17, verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does he, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, there's some very strong words being used there and some very strong examples. If you look at verse 9 again, he says that no one who is born of God practices sin. And in verse 10, he states that it's obvious to be able to spot the children of God and the children of the devil, because anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And in verse 11, he's telling them that from the beginning, 
we have been told to love one another. Now, he's not talking here about the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of time. He's talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry. From the beginning of Christ's ministry on earth to the masses and to the disciples, we have been told to love one another. And then he directly opposes verse 11 and verse 12 by bringing the ultimate symbol of hatred, by bringing Cain into the mix. And in verse 13, he states that we should not be surprised if the world hates us. And we know this to be true, that the world will hate us, because when you stand for righteousness and you stand on righteous morals, and righteous teachings, of course the world is going to be opposed to you with them. And just think about homosexual marriage, right? Is that something that we should accept? Absolutely not. In fact, Christ speaks in Matthew 19.4 and states that, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Male and female is the way that it is intended to be. And they will come at you and they will say that if you deny this, then you hate them. And I have said many times, and I will probably say more, Love and acceptance are not the same thing. I can love you without accepting your actions. Of course I have love for you. You're a person. You are created in the image of God. Why would I not love you? But I cannot accept what you're doing at this moment. And if you go along the lines of sexual sin and lust, in Hebrews 13.4, it states that marriage is held in honor among all and that the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Sex is for marriage, and there is a reason for that. But even though we could continue to go down this list of all these sins that the world loves that we're opposed to, I think to sum that up in verse 13, a a theologian and minister that was famous in the 70s and 80s named Adrian Rogers, he has a quote about that. He states that it has wisely been said that you can take a child of God, put him in a dungeon with a Bible and a candle and lock him away. And he will know more about what's going on in today's world with the word of God than all the pundits in Washington. The heart of man will always remain the same. But think about who he's speaking to in this moment when he, be, when he begins to bring Cain into the fold. He's not speaking to the body about the masses. He's speaking to the body about the body. He's speaking to this group of people in the church about the way that they treat each other. And then he brings Cain into the mix. He isn't using Cain to describe the world to us. He's using this as an extreme example of a brother who had hatred for another brother, a brother who had hatred and allowed that to become a seed of the evil one. And he again had a disdain for righteousness. He's using it to contrast the differences of the attitudes that come to us from God and the attitudes that come to us from the evil one. He's using the real love of Christ and contrasting it with hatred. And it's the practices that we have in our life that can be stemming from the evil one or that can be coming from the love of Christ, which is what he's getting at here. So, you know, we know in Proverbs 10, 12, it tells us that Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all. Hatred, anger will always create animosity. It will always create strife, but love covers all. You either war with your brother or you will show the love of Christ and you will forgive them. And he speaks more on this about brothers warring with each other in in John, 1 John 2.11. If you turn to the page to the left, he states that, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. 
and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He who hates his brother. Now you sit and you think, well, how does the body show hatred towards each other? And so you have to begin to ask yourself, as a body, do we show the love of Christ towards each other constantly or do we slay our brothers? And you have to ask yourself, what do you mean by slay your brother? Well, how does the community look at us as a body of believers on a whole? How do we talk about our brothers and sisters when they're not around? Do we tear them down? Do we build them up? Are they idiots? Are they wise? How do we speak of them? If we have problems with our brothers and sisters, do we allow them to continue to fester? Or do we address them and have the difficult conversations that no one wants to have? Do we celebrate our brothers and sisters' highs? Or do we constantly bring up their lows? Do we show them the love of Christ and forgive their past? Or do we take it and constantly throw it in their face? Because if these things become a part of you, It is no longer a sin you struggle with with your brother. It is becoming a part of you. It is an unrighteous practice, and it is stemming from the evil one. And you are bringing the evil one into the congregation because of the way you are treating and looking at your brothers and sisters. And in Ephesians 4, it speaks on this a little bit about addressing anger and addressing feelings towards each other. It states that do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why not? Because it gives no opportunity to the devil if you address it. And Christ continues with this theme even more in Matthew 18. He states that if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Be direct with each other. Show the love of Christ. Be forgiving. And I think one of the most powerful quotes that I came across while studying for this actually came from the... Theologian Martin Luther, he was part of the the Reformation back in the 1500s, and this quote really made me stop and think. He states that the only being in the universe that recalls forgiven sins is Lucifer. The only being in the entire universe that recalls sins that are forgiven is Satan. The Holy Spirit tells us to treat each other in love and in kindness. Jesus forgives our sins as far as the east are from the west, and God the Father does not know them anymore because they have been forgiven from the blood of the Son. So if you continue to bring up your brother's transgressions, who is that coming from? It is not coming from God. And as you continue reading through this chapter in verse 14, you see that John states that one of the ways, and this is actually one of the dominant ways he tells the church, you can recognize the salvation within your brother is that it is the way they treat each other. It's the way we love each other. And in verse 15, he goes so far as to say that a brother that hates a brother is guilty of murder. Because of the way that the feelings continue to fester and become a practice of unrighteousness. And in verse 16, he states that we must lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, why is John saying this in this moment? Well, think about the experiences that John has had in his life. Why would he be saying this? Now, we said that John often quotes Christ from the Gospel of John. 
And if you go back and you look at the Lord's Supper, which begins in John 13 and you read through it, when you get into John 15, you're going to begin seeing Christ address the disciples on the way that they should be treating each other. And in John 15, 12, this is where this section begins. Your Bible may call it disciples towards each other or something in the heading. And the verse states that this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The very first thing that he teaches the disciples in the way that they are to move forward and treat one another is to show each other the same love that he has. In the Old Testament, you see that you're to love your neighbor as you would love yourself. But in the New Testament, Christ amplifies that even more and states that as I have loved you. And what is the love of Christ? What does that look like? It is a sacrificial love. It is a forgiving love. It is a love of restoration. It is a love that brings peace. It is a love that walks with one another through the valley of the shadow. That is the love of Christ that we are called to show each other. And look at where John is at this point. I hadn't really thought about this until I heard Stephen Lawson say this, but he states that at this point, more than likely, John is the last living disciple. And he is sitting there. Christ has ascended All his brothers have been martyred and killed. And yet his trials and tribulations are not done because he still has to be exiled to the island of Patmos and go through all his trials and tribulations there. But here he is all these decades later after sitting around that table with Christ and that message is still being stirred within him by the Holy Spirit so much. Think about the impact that that moment had on him sitting across from Christ and being taught in such an intimate setting to where he carried that to the people that he would end up teaching and being an elder over. But also in this explanation of Cain that he uses to teach the people of unrighteous practices, it explains everything from Genesis 4. Why did he not give of the first fruits? Cain, why did he not give of the first fruits? Had no desire for righteousness. Why did he not repent for his sin? No desire for righteousness. Why did it not bother him to be out of the presence of God? No desire for righteousness. Why did he flippantly answer after he murdered his brother? No desire for righteousness. But we as righteous beings saved in the blood of Christ have a desire for righteousness and we have a desire for our righteous brothers and sisters. Now, the love of Christ being shown, we've talked about some some extreme examples where we may need to make peace with our brother or we may need to address the situation of our heart and all these different things, but it doesn't have to be something that massive. Just letting your brother know that you care is enough. And I was trying to think of a a little example in my own life that wasn't anything major, but it meant the world to me. And uh, my, my friend and brother in Christ, Ethan, came to mind. When my wife and I were first married, we loved traveling. We went to the Smokies, the Colorado, Arkansas, all over the United States. And, uh, you know, when you hit a season of life where you begin to have kids and you have four kids and the oldest one is four and a half, it's, uh, it's a little difficult to take off for 20 hours, right? But Ethan knows how much we love to travel, and Ethan was a truck driver at the time. So as Ethan would go up and down the coast, he would send us pictures of all these towns that were established in 1796 and 
He walked up the streets of this place in Connecticut that was 150 years old, and he videoed us real quick, and he sent us a picture from being in Montana in June in the ranchers route gathering up the cattle because it was snowing. Like all these things we wanted to see, we experienced because our brother took a few seconds to take a picture and send to us, so it felt like we were with him in those moments. That is all we are called to do. We are simply called to show each other love, to let each other know how much we care as Christ has done for us. And in conclusion, we ask ourselves, are we our brother's keeper? Are we our righteous brothers, our fellow believers, our fellow's heirs to the throne? Are we their keeper? And the answer is yes. And John tells us that over and over again. The answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper, is yes. We are called to love each other with the sacrificial love that Christ commanded his disciples to have. The love that resonated with John and he remembered all those years later. And the love that Christ has for us as individuals. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for the days ahead that we share with each other. I pray that you continue to show us your love and grace and mercy and kindness and that the love that you show each of us blossoms through us in the way that we treat each other, the way that we love each other. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the people that are in it, for the relationships that we have and for the relationships that we will have. We pray that your name is constantly blessed throughout the week and that we may bear witness of your love. Amen.